to a Matter of Fat mini. Just a little bit of a regular episode of Matter of Fat. As you may know, Matter of Fat is a body positive podcast with Midwest sensibilities. We use a lot of different words, phrases, or concepts on the pod that might be unfamiliar or could use a deeper dive for understanding. We're using this Matter of Fat mini to get into fitness and fatness. But who are we other than the fabulous co-hosts of Matter of Fat? I'm Kat Palavoda, a local fat feminist and shop owner. And I'm Soraya Bogani, a fat multiracial Minneapolitan millennial. And we're here to dive into fitness, fitness and, and fatness. fatness. Other than its alliterative allure, there's a good reason we're dedicating this minisode to fitness and fatness. There's still this pervasive belief that fitness and fatness don't go together, that fat people don't or can't work out, or that folks in larger bodies don't belong in fitness spaces. This is due in large part to our society's assumption that health and weight are one and the same, which we know they're not. I mean, you can't tell someone's health by looking at them. This seems like an obvious but important statement. There are lots of fat people who are healthy. There are plenty of non-fat folks who aren't healthy and vice versa. Right. Weight really isn't a great measure of health. While people often use getting healthy to mean the same thing as losing weight, they are often not the same. As we've discussed in previous mini and full episodes, weight loss is rarely sustainable. Studies show that 95% of people who lose weight will gain it back within five years. And the choices folks make to lose weight and then try to sustain that weight loss are often unhealthy. You know, things like consuming far less calories than they need or exercising in excess, or putting other areas of health like mental health at risk, or even taking drugs. You know, plus, studies show that cyclical weight loss and gain, you know, yo-yo dieting, is really bad for your heart. So no, intentional weight loss pursuits are not the same as getting healthy. We as people are complex, so it's a disservice to everyone to reduce health to a one-size-fits-all term. We also know how ridiculous a (laughs) one-size-fits-all concept is, so let's think about this a little bit more thoughtfully. A helpful way to do that is considering examples. So as we were preparing for this episode, Kat, you actually brought up a really good example. Oh, yeah. Okay. So one example of like misconstruing getting healthy and losing weight that always strikes me is about like habits and behaviors, specifically the habits and behaviors that are applauded when fat people are intentionally trying to lose weight. Those very same habits and behaviors would often be cause for concern or like warning signs for eating disorders in someone who's not fat. And it's really important to know that people of all sizes experience disordered eating. And people of all sizes can pursue health in more sustainable ways if they want. Yeah, if that's something they want to pursue, right? Which, by the way, they don't have to because health is not a moral obligation or a prerequisite for being a respected human in the world, you know? You're here. But if folks do want to focus on health, there are some healthy habits that are statistically shown to improve health outcomes. So these include things like not smoking, drinking in moderation, eating enough fruits and veggies, and moving your body. Ooh, these align with the Hayes principles. Would you mind telling the people about Hayes? Yes. Okay, so Hayes, which we have talked about in previous episodes, stands for health at every size. And it's one way to approach health that's not rooted in weight loss. It was developed by Dr. Lindo Bacon. Dr. Bacon's research demonstrates that when people follow programs where their bodies are respected, their confidence is boosted, and focus is placed on things that folks can do that are like actually proven to increase health. You know, those things we mentioned, like moving bodies, eating enough fruits and veggies, not smoking, etc. Then their health outcomes increase and they're sustained. Unlike 
every weight loss program, basically ever. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So there are five principles that guide Hayes, and one of them is life-enhancing movement, or as some refer to it, joyful movement. It's fitness, y'all. We made our way to the Minnesota topic. It's fitness. We did it. We're here. We also, you know, like we need to acknowledge that it can be difficult to fully embrace movement and activity from a space of joy and not shame or desire for weight loss because our culture has really done a great job of conflating health and weight. And because of that, basically, it's left a whole part of the population out of fitness culture completely. Mm, it's always been interesting, like in the most Midwestern sense of the word, right, <laughs> to me about how fat people are and aren't seen in fitness culture. Ooh, yeah, say more about that. Okay, <laughs> stick with me on this because first, I think we should have a brief history lesson on fitness culture from our friends at Wikipedia. Um, I know it's like kind of a bold choice to choose Wikipedia yeah. for this, but it was surprisingly transparent to me about the sociological evolution of fitness culture. And we're mm, referencing other sources than Wikipedia for this mini-sode, which are shared in our show notes. Oh, yeah. So the origins of fitness culture can be linked to how World War II totalitarian regimes promoted their ideologies. The subtext in that quick hitter of a fact <laughs> is that Nazi Germany held physical fitness as a core part of their overall philosophy. The Soviet Union had a similar propensity for public programming geared towards fitness to support homeland defense. Ooh. Okay, I like that you're not easing us into this at all. Listen, I was just as surprised as you to see it right there on the wiki page. So bold. But I know. It's also important to note that even though we're referencing this, we are not saying that all fitness is racist, homophobic, or ableist. What we are saying is that the most prolific version of fitness culture has roots in Aryan superiority. Oh, I mean, very cool, very casual, not scary at all. <laughs> it came out of very not cool, very not casual, and very scary beginnings. Fitness in the U.S. became more pervasive during the Cold War. As I shared earlier, the Soviet Union was already prioritizing public fitness as a defensive tactic. Our dear homegrown vice president, Hubert Horatio Humphrey. Oh, a Minnesota fact wrapped up in a regular fact. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun, right? Okay. Uh, Triple H himself warns <laughs> that. Can call him? No, we're calling I mean, now. I'm, it's so fetch. Oh, I'm a trendsetter. So good. Oh my goodness. Okay, so uh, Hubert H. Humphrey warned that communist superiority was based on physical and athletic fitness. Mm. Um, the Maintenance Phase podcast actually has an episode on the president's physical fitness yeah. test that brought up a great point related to this. Americans were failing at basic fitness tests compared to European kids while the U.S. was trying to demonstrate its national might. So that's not so great. So my hot take is that imbuing the fear of national failure into an American's ability to do sit-ups is also a great way to embed moral superiority over those who do not embody physical prowess, mm. i.e. fat people. So Michael and Aubrey reported that the U.S. swerved a bit on the calisthenics style of fitness because it was too much akin to Nazi practices and superiority stratification. Um, so then I guess like my hot take doesn't really seem that hot anymore when you consider that they made that distinguished choice to not practice the same things that were being practiced in other parts of the world. Oh, it's so interesting. And when you lay it out like that, it really provides an interesting perspective on <laughs> current day fitness culture, right? You know, especially considering how commercialization then comes in and it becomes even more niche or subculture. When I say this, I guess I'm thinking about like Equinox and Peloton or other fitness, quote unquote, movements or groups. 
I don't know if fat people are welcome in those spaces, but I do know I've never seen fat people in their advertising. And I, obviously there's like class factors that play into this too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this history review is all to say that our society has not built fitness and fatness to go hand in hand, however incorrect that is in reality. I mean, human bodies are diverse. Fat people have existed for our forever. Humans have engaged in fitness for our forever. Therefore, fat humans have been engaging in fitness for our forever as well. It's just like one of the most vicious cycles. You know, the common critique about fat people is that we need to be more health conscious. And then, you know, by extension, working out in gyms or public spaces would be required. Yeah. However, with a capital H, Mm. when fat people are in fitness-centric environments, like gyms, athletic shops, actual races, and competitions, we then become a punchline for jokes or even, quote-unquote, sources of inspirations or, you know, before and after images of people. I know I personally have practiced yoga off and on for about 15 years. I stopped my membership and going to a gym a few years back for like a number of reasons. One of those reasons was that the yoga class that aligned best with my schedule was run by a teacher who was absolutely astonished when I could hold a plank position or do downwards facing dog. (laughs) I know, right? She would always walk past me and say things like, wow, you're really doing it. And good for you. (laughs) She didn't share this affirmation with anyone else. I was the only fat person. I don't know. Causation and correlation. I know we don't want to like conflate them, but here we are. I mean, insert the confused math lady meme. This doesn't add up. (laughs) I can't, I don't know. I cannot speak to the causation and correlation of it all, but I do know it's a microaggression. I mean, ugh, I wish she would get out of here with those microaggressions and get into our previous mini soda about them. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Be good for her. Yep. Um, And this is just one anecdote, right, that corresponds with so many other fat people's experiences engaging in fitness. The expectation is that fat people should change themselves, but when they show up in fitness spaces for whatever reason, not necessarily to change themselves, they have to carry a burden beyond the free weights. (laughs) That's too good. Too perfect. (laughs) There there are just enough barriers for people to add fitness to their everyday practice. Yeah. So it's it's no surprise that additional stigma could keep fat people from engaging in fitness or spaces dedicated to it. And we got to think about other barriers to engaging too. I know a perennial topic for us is fashion, but ultimately we need to consider what clothing is available to plus size people for engaging with fitness. Mm. Are there comfortable and supportive outfits for triathlons or for roller derby or for kayaking? I mean, sure, maybe there are some options, but what are the price points? How good is the quality? Is it available like in any brick and mortar store? And my gosh, like Mm. not to even mention the size range. Are they advertising a quote unquote size inclusive range, but only going up to 3XL, which I mean, like to kind of put that in perspective, like 3XL is my size. And to put that in further perspective, I'm what we would call like a mid fat, right? They're people who Mm. are smaller than me and bigger than me. Um, And everybody needs access to clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Brands have always ignored fat people, but this is even more pronounced when it comes to activewear options. We're hardly ever seen in mainstream ad campaigns. I mean, just think about the Nike mannequin fiasco in 2019. (laughs) I think you brought this to my attention then. Like, please paint us a picture of what transpired. Okay, so in case you're not aware, Nike started using plus-size mannequins and they put one in their flagship London store. And there was immense backlash about this mannequin. One Telegraph journalist who, I mean, like clearly has some work to do, said, among other things, that the mannequin was, quote, immense, gargantuan, vast, and that she heaves with fat, end quote. 
I mean, okay, again, like this mannequin sort of looked like us. Oh my, <laughs> so ridiculous. <sighs> First off, put down the thesaurus. Second <laughs> off, this is a plasticized mannequin with nary a roll to be seen. Like, how is there heaving happening? I just. I don't know. That's beside the point. But this points out to the logical fallacy we're describing. Mm-hmm. This journalist is being incredibly fat phobic and emphasizing that fat people can't engage in fitness. And even though we demonize them for being fat, we don't want them to access the clothing that so many other athletes and active people use. Yeah. But, yeah. And this is not an ad for Nike, oh. by the way. And also, they only go up to 3XL, I think. So, <laughs> you know, like I said, there are people who wear 4X and up who would like to participate in fitness. Thank you. And would love to purchase clothing not made by child slave labor. Okay, yeah. So truly, clearly, definitely not an ad for Nike here. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> clear. I just can't help but think of all the items that aren't built for fat people to use easily either, like bicycles, kayaks, even most like workout machines on Amazon are only mm. built for a certain weight. We're really not seen out here. The only time I do see fat people moving around in modern media is when their heads are cut off on news B-roll regarding the obesity epidemic. Right. And, you know, not only are we often left out of fitness spaces, the way fat people are represented generally within fitness, and I guess more broadly in the wellness industry, is also cause for concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I alluded to earlier, this shows up all too often in like painting fat people as the before picture mm-hmm. in juxtaposition to after photos of like amazing transformations. Um, sometimes the language will even go so far as to say that there's a thin person inside of a fat person's body just trying to get out, which is a horrific image. Oh, it's just so, think about it. It's so icky. It's and terrifying. So messed up. And like, okay, no, no, no. There's no thin person trapped inside of me. I'm just me inside of me, and I'm fat. <laughs> oh my! Like, I'm gonna have to listen to the lot when I edit this. But like, the fact that you had to say that <laughs> sentence is just bonkers. bonkers. And also. It's not just you. It's prolific. It's so yeah. prolific that the first episode of season one of Shrill lays out that exact experience yeah. that so many of us have had to deal with. I mean, bless that show for highlighting situations that are so terribly relatable in the fat community and also just like kind of shocking and awful. Mm-hmm. Especially when the stories of fat people that we see on TV are so singular and often weight loss. <laughs> <laughs> For instance, a wildly popular show that has really capitalized on this before and after trope while showing fat bodies in the most dehumanizing ways through transformations that are achieved by blood, sweat, vomit, and tears. I think, Kat, you know what I'm referencing here. I do. I think we all do. Also, I feel like I'm bleeding, sweating, vomiting, and crying just thinking about it. Oh, God. (laughs) I think we all know we're talking about the biggest loser. And like, just when we thought it was off the airwaves, it's actually been back for a reboot. Oh, such trash. And like one of the most well-known examples of this type of messaging. You know, the way fat people are represented is both bad for fat people. You know, like co-signing internalized fat phobia when we see fat people being mistreated or lied to or told they need to lose weight to get access to care or love or success. You know, all those kind of messages are really damaging for us. But I think they're also really bad for people who aren't fat, you know, both in terms of how they see their own bodies. But what worries me more is like how... When they take in those messages, they might treat fat people differently based on what they're consuming. Like it gives license for them to let fat phobia run rampant. 
absolutely accurate. And like in terms of The Biggest Loser coming back, we're at a point in time where there is more body positivity in mainstream media than ever before. So is the reboot a response to that or co-opting? You know, who benefits from the show and what do they gain? I imagine it isn't aligned with Hayes principles or general wellness, but is tied up in a bow of wellness and mindfulness a la the Weight Watchers rebrand. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. As body positivity becomes more widespread, it's also more commercialized, which is what you mentioned earlier. So we do see some plus-size people in activewear ads or a few plus-size yoga instructors highlighted in marketing campaigns. Yeah, but it's still like the small fat or quote-unquote curves in the right places types of folks and often white women featured. So there's still this strong focus on beauty and size standards that are racist and sexist, but you know, with a few curves dangerous curves <laughs> apparently oh my gosh um the best representation i see of fat individuals engaging in activity is instagram and their personal yes accounts. so we're even seeing some of those folks being picked up by like online digital magazines or write-ups as people to watch yeah same i think social media is really where i'm able to like truly diversify representation in all areas and fitness and fatness is no exception uh okay saria who are some of your faves to follow hmm well i like jessamine stanley and amber carnes for yoga focus also annie from the radical health alliance oh i love them all um and also you know i will say like it seems like yoga has been a space for like lots of movement toward body positivity and also as a practice has like a lot of cultural appropriation issues so Mm -hmm. like with most things it's all very messy um You know, one account that I follow, and actually they were a sponsor for us last season, Superfit Hero. They post really good stuff, like a true variety of athletes in so, so many shapes and sizes and identities. And, okay, you know, we're talking all about sizing. They just recently adjusted their size chart. So now they're exclusively serving athletes in larger bodies, and their size range is large to 7XL, which is awesome. I... Love their ethos. And yeah, their IG is popping. Yeah. And it brings me so much it's joy. So good. They're really doing a great job over there. Um, and I'm glad that we were able to be sponsored by them for that one yeah. episode. But mm-hmm. I also, though, follow Diva Rose, who we've interviewed and mentioned a lot as a friend of the pod. And actually, so this season we've been doing a lot of share outs on our Instagram stories and so I became aware of Fat Girl Has Moxie who is a roller skating queen. Yes, She's amazing. You did a roundup of cute roller skate. Oh, that was so good. Um, in terms of folks that I'd follow on Instagram, I would add Meg Boggs to the list along with some folks that I basically just like love to watch dancing around which I think I shared out in a, like a dancing roundup we did on the story. Um, mm-hmm. Folks that I specifically like, Dexter Mayfield, Katrina Nicole, and Thais Carla, um, as well as just because I like to see them dancing around. Um, And I also would mention workout content from Join that I've enjoyed. Mm, I love this. We'll link them all in the notes. There are also some orgs that I'm really into that are focused on this work. They are notably less fun on social media, um, (laughs) but I do love a good Facebook follow, especially so I can see articles and links that they've shared. So these include NAFA, the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance, and ASDA, the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health. Also, Dr. Lindo Bacon, who we referenced earlier with Health at Every Size, who also shares a lot on Twitter. Um, And then, of course, the Radical Health Alliance, which is local to the Twin Cities. Uh, When we think about what fat-liberated physical activity could look like, it looks like these people. Yes. 
It looks like a sexy stretching class at the Rose Academy of Burlesque. It looks like Rad Fat Biking with Annie and the Radical Health Alliance when we're in person again. I mean, it looks like Amber Carnes teaching yoga facilitators how to effectively provide accommodations for all bodies. I just, these folks and organizations are helping reframe fitness in a way that allows for people of all sizes who want to or can participate. Oh, yes. And, you know, people, places, and orgs like the one we've mentioned are helping make fitness fatter and more accessible for those of us in larger bodies. When I think of physical activity in a fat liberation context, I think about like a gym where literally no one mentions intentional weight loss, group fitness classes where instructors do not utter a word about calories burned, where tummies are out and no one bats an eye, where success for physical activity is measured by strength and joy and fun and endorphins. I mean, ugh, what I would do for a gym like that. That sounds like such a great dream. And honestly, if a gym like that could exist, I know our local fat community would be ready for it. In the meantime, you deserve to engage in joyful movement regardless of your size and ability. And we're here for you. Oh, we are. Hopefully this mini-sode has helped you consider how great fitness and fatness can go together beyond alliteration. (laughs) And helped you dream about what fat-positive fitness culture could look like. If you want more, which I know you do, feel free to check out the linked resources in our show notes. Yep, you'll find those at www.matteroffatpod.com along with other episodes, transcripts, and more. And if you like what we're doing here, share Matter of Fat with a friend. We'll catch you next time for more info, hot takes, and aforementioned alliterations as (laughs) a matter of fact.